It may be the most famous song ever written. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing grace, it's a song that's been sung all over the world for over 200 years. It's been sung at the funerals of heads of state. It's been sung in innumerable churches around the world. It's been sung in large football stadiums by crowds composed of Christians and non-Christians alike. It's a song that has touched the hearts of literally millions of people. And it's a song all about the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. The story behind the song Amazing Grace is really powerful. If you're not familiar, Amazing Grace was written by a man named John Newton. And John Newton's story is an incredible story of, of God's amazing grace in his life. In fact, I often reflect on, on the origin of the song, and I wonder if a song like this could have been written by somebody who didn't know both the depths of their own depravity and yet the incredible freedom that can be found in Jesus Christ. See, John Newton grew up on sailing ships, working with his father's ship uh, empire, serving the British, British Empire. And John Newton worked on slave ships. He was uh, an evil man. He was a ruthless man. He was somebody who would put other people in bondage and, and sell them into a, a lifetime of slavery. He was self, selfish, self-centered. He had no regard for, for anyone else except himself. In fact, he was, he was known as being such a, uh, a scoundrel that even people that worked with him on his own ships despised him. John Newton was a depraved man. One day as Newton's ship was sailing across the Atlantic, it came into a huge storm. And I have to wonder if just like Jonah that we saw weeks ago, if God didn't intentionally send that storm as a wake-up call for John Newton. The storm was so violent that the ship was taking on water and, and everybody on board the ship thought that they were going to die. And John Newton cried out to God. And he made a vow to God. He said, God, if you'll deliver us from this storm, I will commit my life to you. And the storm subsided. And John Newton took that as a sign that God really was real and faithful. John Newton, from that day forward, began to study the Scriptures. He began to discover the amazing grace that's proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. John Newton eventually gave his life to Christ and, and renounced his life as a slave trader. He became a, a minister in the Church of England and became known as a, as a famous preacher. In 1772, John Newton to help his congregation remember the messages he was preaching, he began composing hymns and poetry as a way to, to help ingrain the truths of what he had taught in the minds of his people. And one of those hymns that he wrote in 1772 was the song that we know today as Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, John Newton penned those words because he knew the truth behind them. He knew the reality of God's amazing grace. Well, this morning we're going to look at another powerful testimony of God's amazing grace. We're going to hear the story 
and testimony of the Apostle Paul. You know, one of my favorite things that we do here at Lakes Free uh, occasionally on Sunday mornings is we, we have opportunities to have people from within our own congregation share their faith stories with us. And, and I always find it really powerful to hear from, from just ordinary people in our own church, our own friends seated all around us who, who share the testimonies of what God has been doing in their lives. You know, there's, there's few things more powerful than hearing a testimony of God's faithfulness and his work in our own lives. And the Apostle Paul also has a faith story to share with us today. So this morning, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's faith story. And it's found in the second half of Galatians chapter 1. Now, before we get there, I just want to remind us of the background of the the book of Galatians, why we're studying what we're studying here uh, in this series. If you recall from last week, as we started our series in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians to a group of churches that are in basically the the central region of what is today modern-day Turkey. They were some of the earliest churches planted in the Christian faith. And the Apostle Paul had gone to this region of Turkey, and he had sown the seeds of the gospel, and he had founded these young churches, and they were rooted and established in the truth of God's word, But after Paul had left them to continue his missionary work, false teachers had come in to these churches in Galatia and had begun leading them astray. And these false teachers had come into these young churches in Galatia and they first began to question Paul's authority. They began to tell these churches in Galatia, Paul's not really a true apostle. He doesn't have any right to speak to you about these things. And not only did they question his authority, they began to question his motivation, the motivation he had for his message. These false teachers, they told these churches in Galatia, Paul's only in this for himself. He only cares about his own glory, his own fame. That's why he's presenting you this this message of the gospel. It, It can't be that easy. Paul just wants you to accept him. He wants to bring glory to himself. And so he's soft peddling the real message of God. And what these Galatian teachers had then done, these false teachers, is they began to pervert the true gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul had brought to the churches in Galatia. They began to replace Paul's message of salvation by grace through faith, the true biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. They began to replace that with a new gospel, a false gospel. As we saw last week, Paul says it's really no gospel at all. Why was it a false gospel? Because instead of a message that declared salvation comes by grace alone through faith, they began teaching a perverted gospel that says, yes, you need to trust Jesus, but it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus plus faithful adherence to the Old Testament Mosaic law. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow all the Jewish dietary practices outlined in the Old Testament law. You have to keep all the Old Testament works and rituals if if you're going to prove yourself faithful in the eyes of God. And so these Galatian false teachers, which we today call the Judaizers, these Judaizers were teaching a perverted gospel. It was a gospel that said Jesus plus. And if you remember from last week, friends, Jesus plus anything else is not the gospel. If you ever encounter anyone proclaiming a message that says you need to believe in Jesus plus membership in our church, or Jesus plus good works, or Jesus plus so many rituals, or good works, or your money, or whatever else, Jesus plus anything else is never 
the true message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that salvation is a free gift and it comes by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us when he laid his life down on the cross. That was the message that Paul had declared in Galatia. And so that's why Paul writes the letter of Galatians. What we know as the book of Galatians, it was Paul's apologia. The word apologia means to give a defense. It's where we get our word apologetics from. The book of Galatians was Paul's apologetic defense of his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ and of the gospel which he had proclaimed in the churches of Galatia. And in giving this defense, Paul begins this morning by reminding the Galatians of his own personal testimony, his faith story, which was really the basis for his ministry. So, so this morning, I want to read this passage of Scripture. It's Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24. It's Paul's testimony, his faith story, which he declares was the basis for his authority and the basis for the gospel that he proclaimed. Let's take a look at this passage together. Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not, did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those, <clears throat> excuse me, to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. What an incredible testimony. Paul's faith story of how he came to know Jesus Christ. In Paul's faith story, we three, see three particular aspects of his transformation that I want to highlight for us here this morning. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from Paul's faith story. The first aspect of his story that we see is a life in need of grace. A life in need of grace. Paul begins his faith story here by highlighting the reality of just how far from God he was before he encountered Jesus Christ. Take a look at verse 13. Paul says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. Friends, Paul, who before his conversion was known as Saul, Saul was a zealous persecutor of the Christian faith. We know this not only from Paul's own testimony here, but we also find this fact in other passages of Scripture as well. For example, the story of Stephen, the, the very first martyr of the Christian faith. In Acts chapter 7 and 8, we, we find the story of Stephen. Stephen had just given this impassioned 
testimony and plea to the Jews in Jerusalem to trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And look what happens just after Stephen declares this message of the free gift of the gospel available in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 7 says this, At this they, the Jews, covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voice, they all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Friends, if ever there was a life in need of God's grace, it was Saul. He was a man so filled with hatred. He was literally driven to physically oppress and murder the early followers of Jesus Christ. But it wasn't just because of his violence and hatred that Saul needed God's grace. He also needed God's grace because he was a slave of legalism. Verse 14 of our passage, Paul says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul expands on his zealousness as a Jew. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless, Paul says. Before his conversion, Paul excelled at keeping the religious rules of Judaism. In fact, he was more faithful as a Jew than any of those Judaizers that had come into the church in Galatia trying to lead those Christians astray. But as Paul came to discover, no amount of human effort could ever make him right with God. He needed a Savior. So, so why does Paul expose the depths of his depravity here in our passage this morning? Both his, his hatred for the church, but also his zealousness for the Jewish law. Well, there are two reasons, friends. Number one, Paul wanted the Galatian Christians to know that his calling and message were 100% from the Lord. Paul shares his testimony because he wants these Christians to recognize that there was no way Saul would have invented this gospel. There is no way Saul would have been persuaded by any man to embrace this gospel. Saul was the last guy on earth you would have ever thought would receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only thing that accounts for who Saul became was his radical encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It was an eyewitness, face-to-face experience with Jesus following Christ's resurrection from the grave that convinced Saul that he was living in error. Friends, Nothing else explains his conversion. How else could you explain it? Apart from his own testimony, I saw Jesus risen and alive. But secondly, 
Paul wanted the Galatians to see. And remember this, God had really inspired Paul's testimony for all of us to see. That every single one of us here today needs and can receive God's grace. In Paul's faith story, we discover that no one is so good, they don't need God's grace. And at the same time, no one is so bad that they can't experience God's grace. See, this is the good news of the gospel. No matter who you are today, no matter what you've done, whether you've been trying to pursue God's favor through your own righteousness, your own good works, or whether you're here thinking, there is no way God could ever love me because of all the evil and perverse things I've done in my life. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that no matter who you are, Jesus Christ has the power to transform any life. We see that in the story of the Apostle Paul. This leads me to point number two this morning. In Paul's faith story, we also see the reality of a life transformed by grace. A life transformed by grace. You know, there's nothing more powerful in this world than hearing the testimony of someone who's experienced the life-transforming power, the radical transformation that's available when they turn from a life of sin and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And Paul's faith story here is one of the most compelling testimonies of all time. I mean, we look at stories like John Newton and think, man, that's incredible. Friends, Paul's faith story is one of the most incredible testimonies ever. How did Paul's transformation happen? Well, as I said a moment ago, it happened because he had an eyewitness encounter with the risen Jesus. Let's read the account of Paul's testimony, his transformation. It's found in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by his hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placed his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, 
who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. What an incredible testimony. It's a testament, friends, to the power of the gospel, of God's free gift of salvation that's available to every sinner, no matter how far gone you might think you are. You see, friends, if Paul can be changed, if God can change his murderous, self-righteous, legalistic heart, God can change any heart, friends. And I want you to notice here in verse 15 through 16 of our passage, back in Galatians 1, notice in verses 15 through 16 how Paul attributes everything about his salvation to the sovereign work of God and God's grace throughout his entire life. Paul sees the hand of God in his entire life. Look at verse 15. Paul says, God set me apart from birth. He called me by his grace, and he was pleased to reveal his son in me. Now, I want you to just think about that for a moment. Paul says, God set me apart from birth. Friends, 2,000 years ago, there was this precious little baby boy named Saul. And this beautiful little baby would eventually grow up to become a prideful, legalistic Jew. So zealous that he would even commit murder in the name of God. And yet, every aspect of Paul's life had been divinely orchestrated by God. None of it was outside of God's sovereign will and plan. And I want you to think about this for a moment because the lesson here is absolutely profound. Friends, do you think some of those Christians that Saul hunted down and murdered ever asked God why? Do you think Stephen's mother ever questioned God's faithfulness? God, where were you when my son needed you? Why have you abandoned me in my grief? Do you think some of those Christians in the early church ever questioned why God would allow such an evil man like Saul to exist? I bet they did. And friends, you know something? A lot of them never got an answer to their questions in this life. But we see the answer today, don't we? God had a plan and purpose for all of it. He used Paul's life to literally change the course of history. And Paul's faith story is still bearing fruit today as a testament to God's amazing grace. You see, friends, we might not always understand God's work in our lives or even what God's doing in our world, but you need to understand there is nothing that happens in this world that is outside of God's perfect will. There is nothing that comes into our lives that isn't first father-filtered. 
This is why verses like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are such an encouragement to us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Friends, we can trust in the Lord's good and perfect will, no matter the circumstances that come into our lives. This past week, I was meeting in my office with Elizabeth Peck. We had the funeral yesterday for her son, Michael, who two weeks ago died tragically in a drug overdose. And as I was talking with Elizabeth this past week, and we were planning Michael's funeral service, Elizabeth just shared an incredible testament of God's faith with me. It it, it encouraged me and and inspired me and challenged me. Elizabeth was sharing how she just really believed and was holding on to the hope that God had to have a purpose in all of this. And, And she shared with me an illustration that a friend of hers had talked with her about earlier in the week about how our lives are are really like a tapestry. And and from our finite, limited vantage point, we see only the backside of the tapestry. And oftentimes our lives look like this tangled mess of knots, this meaningless assortment of threads. But friends, God and his sovereign will and plan, he sees the front of that tapestry. And he sees the beautiful artwork he's creating as he weaves the circumstances of our lives together according to his good and perfect will. What an incredible testament of faith. Friends, the story of Paul's transformation is a powerful reminder, not only of God's amazing grace in changing our lives, but of God's amazing grace in every aspect of our lives. We might not always understand God's ways, but we can trust him because he is good and he is faithful and he has a plan and purpose for everything that he allows to come into our path. The third aspect of Paul's faith story that we can see and be encouraged by is Paul's life lived in the fullness of grace. Not only was this a man who needed God's grace and was transformed by grace, but in our passage this morning, we see that Paul went on to live his life in the fullness of God's grace. What happened to Paul as a result of his transformation? He began to bear the fruit of the gospel in his life. And what does this look like? Well, his faith story highlights for us four characteristics of a life lived in the fullness of grace. Number one, In Paul's faith story, we see a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. A passionate relationship with Christ. In verse 16 of our passage, Paul tells us, God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. What does this statement mean? Pastor Tim Keller in his commentary on Galatians, he says this. He says, God revealed Christ to Paul so that he could reveal Christ through Paul. See, Paul had a personal encounter with Jesus. And Paul's encounter with Jesus led to a personal relationship with him. And friends, I want to ask you a question this morning. What happens when you discover a life-giving, meaningful, fulfilling relationship? When you discover a relationship like that, what do you want to do? You, You want to tell everyone else about it, don't you? 
I, I remember when, when I first got engaged to my wife, Kim. I was so excited. I, I couldn't imagine a greater love. I wanted to tell everybody I knew about it. That's what happens when we experience a, a meaningful, fulfilling, life-giving relationship. And friends, the, the same is true with Jesus. It, it's even more true with Jesus. Paul was transformed by Christ, and this led to his passion for Christ. And he couldn't help but share Jesus with others. Friends, do you share this passion for Jesus? If not, maybe it's a sign that you need to spend some more time with him. Because I guarantee you this morning, the closer you get to Jesus, the more passionate you're going to be about him. Friends, you won't find anything better in this world. And this leads me to point number two this morning. A life lived in the fullness of grace will be characterized by a hunger to grow deeper in Christ. Look at verse 17 and 18 of our passage. What did Paul do immediately after his conversion to Jesus Christ? Paul says he went into Arabia for three years to grow in his relationship with Jesus and his understanding of the gospel. Remember back in verse 12, where did Paul say he received his knowledge of the gospel? He received it by personal revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul spent three years in solitary study and relationship building with Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting, friends? Jesus spent three years with his disciples, and he invested the same amount of time in the apostle Paul. But you see, Paul recognized that if he was ever going to be a minister of God's grace, he needed to grow in God's grace. And that only comes by spending time with the Lord. So let me ask you this morning, friends, what are you doing today to grow in your relationship with the Lord? See, understand this growth in Christ, it doesn't happen by accident. Okay, You, you can't just show up at church once in a while and think I'm just going to all of a sudden grow by osmosis. That's not how it works. We grow in our walk with the Lord when we invest time with the Lord. Time in his word, time with other believers, learning our faith, growing in our faith, learning the, the great truths of our faith. We grow in Christ when we're intentional about seeking out those opportunities to spend time with him. And so I want to encourage you this morning, find those opportunities. We have opportunities here at Lakes Free in our discipleship pathway, our adult classes that we offer Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, opportunities to grow in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have small groups that meet throughout the week. We have Bible studies that meet throughout the week. Why do we do all these things? We don't do this stuff because we just want to have a bunch of programs going on. We do it because we recognize that growth in Christ doesn't happen by chance. It happens when we make that commitment to dig into his word, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in fellowship with other believers. I want to encourage your friends, take advantage of those opportunities to continue to grow in your walk with the Lord. Thirdly, this morning we see a life lived in the fullness of grace will be characterized by a commitment to the body of Christ. After Paul's time in Arabia in verses 18 through 24, Paul next tells us that he went to Jerusalem to fellowship with the other apostles and members of the early church. Why did Paul do this? 
Well, first, Paul recognized that Christianity isn't a Lone Ranger faith. Okay? Christianity isn't a faith that was meant to be practiced in, in isolation. Paul recognized that even he needed the unity and accountability that is found in relationships with other believers. Secondly, Paul understood that Christianity isn't a self-service religion. Friends, too many Christians today view their faith as something that they can just pick and choose from a variety of sources. You know, I, I like the preaching over at this church, but I go to this church for worship. And, and you know, I really like this guy's podcast. I listen to him to, to really get into the word. And, and, and then I go to this Bible study because I like the food and coffee they offer over there. Right? And we kind of pick and choose from all these different sources. But friends, that's not how God designed it to work. God wants us to be rooted in community with other believers. And our faith is lived to the fullest in meaningful committed relationships within the church. Thirdly, Paul went up to Jerusalem and visited the Christians in Jerusalem because he knew that we need one another's testimonies for our encouragement. In verse 24, we read that the news of Paul's transformation led the churches in Judea to praise God. They had heard what God did in Saul's life and they praised God. Friends, we can't get this kind of encouragement from one another unless we're rooted and grounded in the body of Christ, the church. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you haven't yet made a commitment to regular fellowship in a local church, you need to do that. And I pray you'll do that. And yes, we would absolutely love you to do that here at Lakes Free. But I will also tell you this, I don't care if you make Lakes Free your primary church or some other church, but what you need to do is you need to find a local community of faith that adheres to the truths of God's word and puts the main thing as the main thing, advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You find a church like that and you commit to it and you commit to the fellowship that's found there and that's where you're going to experience grace and life and growth. You need to be a part of the body of Christ. Lastly, this morning, we see a life lived in the fullness of grace in Paul's devotion to the glory of Christ. Let's return to verse 10 for a minute. Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Friends, the answer is obvious. Paul's sole motivation was for the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I think one of our greatest temptations in life is to to live for the approval of others. Isn't that? We want people to like us. We want to be popular. We don't want people to think we're weird. But in Paul's faith story, we discover the freedom that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul had encountered the truth in Jesus Christ. And when I say truth, I'm talking capital T, truth. Jesus is the truth. And friends, when you know whose opinion matters most, Everyone else's matters less. Isn't that true? Paul came to realize that the only one whose opinion mattered was Jesus. See, you can live wholly and freely for the glory of Christ because you know that your approval is found in him alone. And when Paul encountered Jesus, he discovered God's amazing grace. The undeserved, unmerited, unconditional love of God. And this not only freed him from striving for the approval of man, but it also freed him from the bondage of legalism, which says that we need to earn the approval of God. 
Friends, the reality of God's unconditional love completely changed Paul's motivation for living. And it can change our motivation for living as well. See, because of the gospel, we no longer have to strive for God's approval. Instead, we can live for his glory because we know that we already have it. We already have God's approval. Friends, this is the message of amazing grace. See, Paul's faith story can be an encouragement to any of us here this morning. Whether you're here this morning because you need God's grace, or whether you're here this morning, you've already invited Jesus into your heart, you've experienced his transforming grace in your life, but you need to continue to grow in living out that grace in your life. Wherever you are today, Paul's faith story offers a word of encouragement to us. And so I pray it inspires you, maybe challenges you, and maybe motivates you to continue to pursue growth in the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the powerful faith story that we see here in the life of the Apostle Paul. I thank you, Lord, for the grace that you displayed in Paul's life. And I thank you, Lord, for the grace that you have offered each and every one of us. First and foremost, forgiveness of our sins as a free gift through the salvation that we can receive through your son, Jesus Christ. But also then, Lord, the the grace to live life in fullness, to to know and be transformed and, and to experience your ongoing transformation as we walk with you and as we grow in you and as we fellowship with other Christians, as we live for your glory. Lord, that's all part of life in Christ. Paul experienced that. And we can experience that. And so I pray, Lord, that this passage this morning will have served as a great encouragement to all of us to be in love with you, to be passionate about your gospel, and to continue to want to know you more and live in the freedom and accountability and security and love, all of it that is found in the good news, the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Amen.